Good morning and uh, welcome to Crossword Online. It is indeed a great privilege to spend time with you this morning in the Word of God. And uh, yeah, today I want to um, pray and encourage and uh, hope that as we look at God's Word and we look at um, how it was all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may indeed experience a, a deepening of your admiration uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, an admiration that uh, would lead you to more gladly um, give yourself to Him and surrender to Him, follow Him, and to seek His kingdom, His way. So yes, very much welcome. We are working our way through the book of Samuel. We are looking at uh, the section um, that runs from uh, David being anointed as king uh, in chapter 16, um, and it's going to be quite a while until he is fully, finally uh, declared to be king. Um, in only in chapter in two Samuel chapter five, so we are in these interim sections where we see a, a great contrast uh, between Saul, um, the king uh, after the people's heart, uh, they came to God and said, "Remember, we want a king like the nations," um, and then God gave them Saul, and uh, it turns out to be quite a, a sad and disastrous uh, kingship. Uh, God then decides He will appoint a king uh, of His own heart. Uh, and that is David. Um, and so we are looking at this, the rise of David and the decline of Saul. Um, and we are working through uh, the incredible ways in which God uh, brings about his kingdom and how he works with his king. And so we are in chapter 24, very, very interesting uh, and kind of a, a humorous slash uh, embarrassing kind of a context um, but let's uh, pray and then ask God to help us and then we'll read it and I'll try to put it a little bit into context and then we will look. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are so aware, Lord, of the fact that in one sense you are very different from us at so many levels. And we thank you that you, we have your word where we have you reveal yourself and we see in these passages how you raise up a king for humanity, a king that is indeed unique. A king that is we all in a very deep seated way longs for. A king that is indeed not like the kings of the world. And we pray that as we uh, read this, your spirit may be pleased to give us insight and give us understanding and give us uh, appreciation and, and, and worship and uh, astonishment um, at how you do things and why your ways are in that sense always better than ours. So thank you for this opportunity thank you for this reminder and uh, we do want to uh, worship you this morning uh, with our hearts and uh, with our souls and our, and our minds and our, even our bodies so to you lord indeed belong glory in jesus name amen so i'm going to read for us uh, 1 samuel chapter 24 and uh, uh, starting there uh, in verse 1 after saul returned from pursuing the philistines he was told david is in the desert of engidi so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed. 
and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept loud, aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave him gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What a fascinating passage. As I said, kind of not the thing that you normally record in histories. Uh, that is the need of the king to go. If one needs to go, you need to go. It doesn't matter if you're a king. You've got 3,000 elite troops with you. You're on a certain mission. When nature calls, uh, you have to obey. And that's really the setting that we find in just to kind of stand a little bit back from what we've been looking at. Uh, this 
conundrum, this problem, this kind of a frustrating reality is that Saul was anointed as God's king. Uh, God rejected Saul, remember, after numerous uh, disobedience uh, says from Saul, uh, he would refuse to listen to the voice uh, of the word of the Lord. Um, and so God rejected him. And God said, I was going to appoint someone after my own heart. I was going to make someone who is better than you, Saul, to be my king uh, and lead, uh, lead my people. Uh, and David then is anointed in chapter 16. And as we've said last week already, uh, suddenly he comes on the scene, bursts onto the scene, has his massive victory uh, when he kills Goliath, the greatest kind of warrior of that age. And uh, you might think, okay, well, things are going to go pretty smooth from now on because uh, David is replacing Saul. And yet uh, we are now in chapter 24. And uh, David had a little bit of a, a, a good days in one sense. And then Saul started to question him and become jealous and uh, started to want to kill him and has been pursuing him. And David's been on the run. And so when you have two kings, there are in one sense too many kings. Uh, and again, why does God do that? It's one of the questions uh, that we keep on asking. Why is it that God is so powerful? Like we saw last week. I mean, God could literally make a, a guy find Saul in the desert, telling him, listen, the Philistines are attacking the land, so stop pursuing David. Uh, God can do that. God can do the miraculous. So why does God not miraculously simply take David and make him king? I mean, what is it that stops God from doing that? Uh, God can do, in that sense, whatever he wants. And yet we see in this section uh, that uh, the Christ must suffer, as we saw last week. And so last week we asked the question, if God is for you, who can be against you? And in one sense we saw everything can be against you. Uh, the king of the land can be against you. And his men can be against you. And uh, the people you've just saved uh, from another enemy can be against you. And your own family tribe will uh, betray you into the hands of Saul. And so when God is for you, it's not plain sailing that everything seems to be for you. It actually can look as if everything's against you. And that everything is against you. But nothing will prevail. And that's what we saw last week. Nothing will prevail against those for whom God is. If God is for you... No one can actually have a stand and accomplish their purposes uh, against you. And David here has to learn that God is for him. And remember, Jonathan encourages him in the middle of that whole absolute section where he's running for his life and he's hiding and he's got no place to lay down and he's being betrayed and he's being handed over in one sense. Here comes Jonathan and Jonathan says, listen, yeah, remember, don't look at what your eyes can see, but hear the promise of God. You will be king and you will rule uh, God's people. And so there's the great promise that God is for you, who can be against you. And as God is working his kingdom, as God is bringing his king, which is so different from the kings of the nations, the kings that Israel in one sense won, God is preparing his king to be the kind of king that will run the kingdom the way God wants him to run. And so one of the ways in which God does this is to put him into a very difficult situation where he's powerless, where he's got nothing, in order to see if he is indeed trusting God? Is he humble enough to trust God? Is he humble enough to allow God to shape him and to be the God of Israel and, and ultimately the king of Israel? That's really the thing. The most important thing for the king of Israel is to know that the God of Israel is the king of Israel. He's the ruler. And that's what the whole process in one sense is all about. God is preparing David to be the king after his own heart. And he does that through hardship, through suffering. Where do you go when things are tough and you are powerless and weak and uh, unable to do things? Do you, what do you do? 
And here we see David has learned to worship God. We saw that last week in Psalm 54. Uh, that is connected to the Ziphites' uh, rebellion and their betrayal. Uh, he actually starts to worship and learn to worship and trust God and say, You are good, you are God, you are in charge of this. Even though I can't see, I trust that you will keep me and you will fulfill your word and you will save me. And God did save him in that. And so we pick up the story. Saul has gone off, uh, doesn't really tell us. It seems like he must have been successful against this kind of raid from the Philistines at that stage. He comes back and he hears that David is in the in the desert of Engidi and he gets 3,000 elite troops, Rekis, uh, the best of the best, and he goes and pursues them. Hopefully he's leaving the other guys now uh, to protect the rest of Israel so he can have his undivided attention on David. Um, and uh, then we find that as he's on his way, he needs to relieve himself and go to the bathroom. And he goes into a cave, and you know when you get into a, a very light, into a very dark space, you can't see what you hear. We're not sure. He's groping around a little bit. Um, he is uh, uh, trying to find a nice rock to sit on uh, with a bit of a backdrop, uh, so that uh, yeah, you know things don't splash all around. And so here he sits at the most kind of funny and bizarre and vulnerable position. Uh, this great king with these three thousand troops could probably be in. Uh, you've got your pants around your, your, your legs or at this stage your skirt up your neck um, and he sits there with his bottom shining to these guys and these guys are all sitting on the inside of the cave and you just imagine as they were sitting there because when you're inside a dark space and you're looking out you can see everything and uh, you know they because you can see the king or the person coming in you might actually think they can see you and so you can just imagine these uh, guys, we don't know of all 600 of David's men has been there, but they are sitting there in the cave and they actually make this very obvious deduction. Wow. As kind of Saul settles down for his business uh, with his bums pointing to them, they say to David, David, but listen here, this is the day the Lord has spoken about, that he will give your enemy into your hands and you can do with him whatever you like. Fascinating. David has never referred to Saul as his enemy. Saul has referred to David more than once as his enemy. And he said, they say, surely this is it. I mean, come on. I mean, he's been pursuing us, chasing us. He's now in his most vulnerable, most weak, most kind of ridiculous situation you can find himself in. Surely this is God giving you this opportunity. And the story is told in such a way that David creeps up with sword in his hand and you kind of think, is he going to do it? And then all he does is he cuts off a piece of the rope. And then he scrambles back. I mean, this is in stealth. I mean, this is incredible work. To crawl up to someone while they're doing their business, cut off the piece of their robe and crawl back without being detected, is uh, you, you need to be good. But you remember, David was the, was the leader of those elite troops at one stage, for Saul even. And so here you find him actually doing all of that stuff. And so the story is quite amazing. And then David even gets his unconscious gets stricken because he's cut off the robe of, um, of the king. And uh, again, if you remember the whole story about robes, his robes plays a very big role in the book of Samuel. Uh, Samuel's mum, remember, gave him a little robe every year as he grew up to kind of wear over his clothes as he was working in the, 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 the temple area uh, at Silo. And so robes are important. And later on, uh, Saul's robe is the one that gets torn by Saul himself. Uh, so Samuel's robe gets torn by Saul himself as, as Saul is trying to grasp after the kingdom, and as he grabs hold of Saul's, uh, Samuel's uh, robe, Samuel pulls away and it tears, and Samuel turns around and says, just like that, God will tear the kingdom out of your hand, and he will give it to someone better than you. 
fascinating uh, story. And so here, uh, the robe is, is important. This is a robe of authority, the robe of uh, privilege. And here's the kingly robe. And David suddenly realized what he's doing is symbolically, he's saying, I will take a bit of your kingdom from you. And he realizes that's not right. God is the God of Israel. God has anointed Saul as his king. God has also anointed me as his king. Uh, God is to be the one who is, must decide. Really, inevitably, what David's going to say just now. And so David is conscience stricken. The whole idea that he is grasping and taking things into his own hands just realizes that's not right. That's not the way God brings in his kingdom. God's king must be under God's rule and allow God to bring in his kingdom God's way. And that is the great test. Yeah, Saul is literally delivered into David's hand. Saul is going to admit it himself. Saul even says, if an enemy falls, if your enemy falls into your hand, do you let him go? And the answer is, obviously, no, you don't. You never get that chance again. These roughnecks, these these debtors, these uh, kind of riffraff that, uh, that David has around them, they are just keen to kill him. And it actually tells us then, after David has thought through, what has I done? What symbolically am I indicating? Am I saying to people, this is what you can do. You can just take what you want. In God's world, in God's kingdom, you can just take as you run. And David says, that's wrong. And he's very aware of it. And he's remorseful, I guess. And so then he actually cuts into his own men in the dark. Uh, you know, you probably see him mouthing words. And he must have an incredible leader to bring a whole bunch of 600 kind of riffraff on the side of the, the, the kind of society people who owes and is, is, is bad to bring them into control, not to kill Saul. Fantastic leadership from David. Unbelievable. And then as Saul leaves, walks out, David gets up and he exposes himself. And now again, he puts himself, now he puts himself deliberately in an incredibly vulnerable position to show beyond a shadow of a doubt to Saul that he is actually innocent, as he says. And he's got this incredible speech and he calls at him and he falls down before him and he pays homage to him as king. Yeah, David, the great anointed king, actually comes and bows and says, oh, King, you are king, you are the Lord's king. And I show you now what I'm really like. I show you my character. I show you my purposes. I am not against you. I'm not your enemy. You are my enemy. You've made me your enemy, but I'm not, you're not my enemy. I am coming to you. I am showing you. I'm questioning you. Why are you listening to everybody else? And maybe David has just been very kind because there's no one who ever said to Saul that David is bad. That's been Saul saying it to himself all the time. They've actually been told, Saul has actually been told a number of times that David is not bad. But Saul is the one who instigates. But David gives him the benefit of the doubt. He comes humbly. And he bows before him. And he kind of puts himself in the mercy. I mean, there's 3,000 elite troops just down the, the road. And he says, here I am, here's the proof. And here in my hand is your piece of the robe. And I show it to you that I am not against you. I actually am not guilty of wrongdoing and rebellion, as he says there in verse 11. Um, so why are you hunting me? How is it possible that someone who has been given uh, by God the right to rule, can actually, when he gets the opportunity to take out his enemy, which, as we said, is not his enemy, Saul has made David his enemy. How did you do that? Well, it really tells us, isn't it, in verses 12. It 
says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. I will not take anything in my hands and grasp after the kingdom of God, because it's God's kingdom that He gives in His timing and in His way, and His way is not to grasp after it. Incredible. Let God judge. Let Him avenge me. Let Him be the one who will decide here between me. And David says, yeah, the problem is quite easy. Out of evil people come evil deeds. I mean, and I haven't done you anything wrong. There can't be anything wicked and evil in me. But then he, next question, he kind of puts it to, the, uh, to Saul. Against whom is the king of Israel come out? The language is exactly the same. Out of evil or wicked people come wicked deeds. Who is the king come out of? For and David then quickly turns the thing away and says, to a dog? I'm like a dog? I'm like a flea on a dead dog? What am I to you? Why are you doing this? I'm no threat to you. I have just shown you I'm no threat to you. I'm actually innocent. I had the chance. I didn't take it. Um, incredible, isn't it? Incredible speech. Incredible vulnerability. Incredible uh, evidence of his heart that he is not against Saul. He is actually for God. He's not making Saul his enemy. Saul has made him his enemy. Incredible story, isn't it, about the Lord Jesus, uh, about uh, David here. And so then Saul, I mean, is struck to the heart, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine uh, what happens? Saul then says, Oof, and he affirms, you, with a piece of robe in your hand, you are the better one. You are more righteous than I am. You are the better neighbor. He acknowledges, acknowledges everything. I mean, it just gets even better. He says, um, you have done me good and I have done you evil. I am wrong, David, in all of that I've done. Um, and he says, who, who is so kind to his enemy? And again, as we keep on saying, Saul was never David's enemy, but Saul made David his enemy. And so he says to him, and I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. And then he asks him, please, uh, don't kill me and don't kill my family. And David says, I won't. And they go their separate ways. What an insane situation. What an incredible reality that God is giving David. God gave David. Everything is, God is for David. God is for you can be against you. Well, Saul has been against him. And now God gives his very enemy into his hands. And David says, I will not take it into my own hands. I will not grasp off it. The word hand, like last week, remember last week the word hand occurs nine times in the passage. The word hand here occurs 11 times in this passage. Keep on saying, I will not take my hands and grasp after anything, says David. The Lord has anointed you. The Lord has anointed me. The Lord must judge between the two of us. The Lord must avenge me or remove me. And he says it actually twice. He said, let the Lord judge and decide between the two of us. And may he uphold my cause against you and vindicate me and deliver me from your hand. I am putting myself back under the mercy of yours. And Saul seems to have kind of got it to some degree. It's fascinating. Saul is an interesting character. And we're going to see it again, uh, how this whole thing works. So the first thing we need to realize, God is showing us how magnificent a king it is that David is and that he wants David to be. And he gives David an opportunity. David is growing in this whole event. He's growing. 
he's actually wanting to go and you kind of don't know is he going to cut off his head and then he just cuts off his robe is that a kind of a last minute decision we don't know and then even when he's done that he's aware wow that's not bad that is really arrogant that's really uh, me pushing the envelope so I am going to stop the guys from killing him I'm going to come and I'm going to surrender myself to the king and I'm going to show him that I'm innocent I've got no desire for your death I have only the desire to be the kind of king that God wants me to I will not wrong and do evil even when I am wronged and done evil too now the question is what kind of a king is it that should be able to give him the right to rule a king that has shown in actuality that he can trust God that he can entrust himself to God that he can allow God alone to judge, for God alone knows everything, which is really a fulfillment of Hannah's uh, kind of song prayer right at the front. So if you just flip back and listen to this, it says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So last week we saw the rock that has separated Saul and David. Now it says it again. Now it says, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. Why? For the Lord is a God who knows he knows all, actually, what the text is saying. And by him deeds are weighed. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. And so David is growing in his ability to be the kind of king that says, God, you're God. God, you are for me, but you are God. And even when you give me the opportunity to do wrong, I won't. When you give me an opportunity to grasp after the kingdom for myself, when my enemy is in my hands, literally, sitting there, bottom exposed, vulnerable and weak, I will not take things into my own hands. Could you trust a king like that? Could you trust a king that is humble enough to defer to God? And I take it that's the kind of king God is after. That's the kind of king that the world needs. A king that is not going to ever take things into his own hands. A king that actually says, I will allow God to judge. And God to determine uh, what is right and wrong. And God to determine uh, the wonder of the kingdom. Do you admire David? He's quite an admirable character, isn't it, at this stage, in this episode. He's incredibly admirable. He is God's king. God has anointed him, God has promised him, God has been reminded him. And so here Saul actually acknowledges, listen, you are going to be king. I know that. And so here we find that little thing we spoke about last week. Jonathan says, Saul knows you're going to be king, but he doesn't seem to be able to accept it. Yeah, he's getting much, much closer, isn't it? He actually says it. I mean, it's the first time we hear it from Saul's own mouth, that he knows that David is the king, that God will establish the kingdom in his hands. Uh, he's even cried. He's even confessed that he's done him badly. And, and there are so many fantastically good aspects to Saul. But there's one thing lacking, isn't it? It's kind of weird. He does not abdicate to David. He goes off to his own home and David goes up to the stronghold. It's kind of a <laughs> weird situation. He does not come and actually say, since these are the old true things, I willingly abdicate my kingdom to you. God has definitely raised you up. You are the better man. Fascinating, isn't it? 
So Saul is not there. Saul is nervous. Saul kind of accepts, but not to the point where he's able to entrust himself to David and entrust himself to God and to allow David to be the king. He's not there yet. And we're going to see in the future that um, unfortunately Saul is going to change his mind again, which he's been doing so much often. He is fluctuating. Um, he's uh, unfortunately a man who does not know and trust God. And so, yeah, this passage is raising up for us the simple reality. Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you admire Him? Because the New tells us so clearly in so many different ways. Uh, in 1 Peter, we are told that He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So where the greatest king of Israel is the pattern of the, the kind of king that God wants, it is the ultimate king of Israel, Jesus Christ, that fulfills all of those realities for us. No wonder God says, it's into your hands that I can give the kingdom because you keep on not grasping after anything you keep on entrusting yourself to me. I can't allow you to rule because you are worthy of ruling. You are humble. You will not take anything into your own hands. Fascinating, isn't it? I mean, you find that in Jesus, when in Matthew 26, when Jesus is being arrested, remember, um, he, uh, some of the, Peter comes and cuts off one of the guy's ears and Jesus says to him, what are you doing? Don't you think I can call on my father, and he can send 12 legions of angels. Now, they say a legion is between 3,000 and 6,000 people, so multiply by 12. Do you think I can't actually and don't have the power to do whatever I want me? So here, David, actually, for the first time, he's got power. He's got power over Saul, and he doesn't use it. He actually comes and he serves, and he says, I forgive. I want to restore. I want to be Reconcile to you. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to recognize who I am, that I am the king, I'm the innocent one, I'm the righteous one. That's what David is saying. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's coming to this world as the king with all the authority, all the power, and he deliberately, willingly puts himself into the hands of suffering. The Messiah must suffer. He must show and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the Lord's king, that he is the one you can trust. He will not do wrong and evil, even when he's wronged and done evil to you. Can you trust someone like that? Is he a king that you admire, stand in awe of, to the point where you not only say it, but you surrender to him gladly? And that's how Peter uses this passage. He says, well, Jesus is our example. He is our great shepherd. He is the one who walks in front. He is the one who has given us a way to live because when we follow this king, we follow him like his kingdom would come. We do not take things into our own hands. And so in chapter 3, verse 8 of 1 Peter, he actually says it. He says, when you are insulted, don't insult. And when people do you evil, seek to bless them. Because, listen to the words, because you are destined to inherit a blessing. David, you are destined to inherit the kingdom of God. So, you don't have to take it into your own hands. So if we put these two kind of stories together from last week, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, a lot can be against you, but they will not prevail. 
this week. If God is for you, then you never have to be for yourself and take things into your own hands. You could entrust your life to Him. You could entrust your life to Jesus, who has fully came about to bring God's kingdom. I'm not sure if you're astounded. I'm not sure if you find it the most incredible thing that you will not revile, attack, retaliate, threaten, harm when you actually have the ability to do that. I find that astounding. I find I'm too weak for that. I find that only Jesus Christ can do that. And that's why I admire Him and I worship Him and I want to give myself to Him and I want to hand myself over to Him and I want to say, you be my Lord, you be my King, you are worthy um, of everything. And I hope that you've seen something of this wonder of this King. As God prepares David, that's exactly what he's done with Christ. He has, in one sense, handed him over uh, in so many ways. And he willingly does that. Because I trust you, and I trust that you will do what is right. And I trust that you will be the leader, and that I can... Bring about your kingdom and your salvation. Let us learn that as we fall into the hands of God in one sense, if he's for us, nothing can be against us. But we never need to stand up for ourselves. We can actually follow him and be his disciples his way. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that when we look at this, this is so astounding that it is very hard for us to comprehend uh, the full extent of the kind of fear and dread and hardship that David has gone through and yet in that moment in that, on that brink, on the edge of taking things into his own hands he could entrust himself to you he could actually bless when he was hurt and cursed when he was sought and he gave himself Lord we stand in awe of that and we thank you that that's exactly what you've come to offer us, you come to offer us we who have sought to reject your rule to not want to be under your rule you come and give us uh, an indication of how good and how innocent you are and how you are the one who can lead and rule God's kingdom. So we bow before you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that you would indeed enable us to surrender, to, to abdicate from our little thrones, to abdicate from our desires to grasp after and have, keep things in our hands, to open our hands and to receive from you a kingdom, a blessing, eternal life, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you that you are for us. And we pray that we may learn in the everyday moments of life that as we come and bring free will offerings of worship to you as God who is good, despite what we can see around us, because we trust your promises in Christ. We pray that we will grow to such an extent, Lord, that we will never take things into our own hands in an evil way, that we will never repay evil for evil or insult for insult. But we will experience the wonder of being a blessing to those who are insulting and evil. Because we have absolute certain confidence that you who are the judge of all things has destined to give us a blessing as an inheritance. The blessing of being in fellowship with you and with all those who has the same understanding. The Lord, here we are. We give ourselves to you and we praise you and we worship you. And we ask that you will strengthen us uh, with astonishment uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder he is the Lord and he is the Savior. And there is no other name by which man can be saved. But by one that is so perfect, so good, so innocent, 
so pure, so humble, so that you ultimately raised him from the dead. And we want to worship you and we want to give ourselves to you. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much for listening. It was great to talk to you this morning. And uh, as we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you will indeed be um, have an open mouth and uh, be on once and almost perplexed uh, and be intrigued and be ready to uh, learn to follow the king in the king's ways. This is the way he brought in the kingdom of God. May you be strengthened and encouraged to bring in the kingdom wherever you go uh, in the same way as you follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. We'll hope to see you next week.